My name is Sean Thomas, and I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great, or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas here, episode 80 of the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building. And folks, 80 episodes. We've made it. Another landmark of the Be More Today movement in our history. It's been so great. Season two has been phenomenal. Uh, it's been so exciting. So many guests on the show. And again, for those who don't know, Be More Today is a movement we are pushing forward, uh, promoting health and wellness and physical therapy techniques to make sure that you can be the best version of you every single way we are everywhere on facebook we have the strava group so if you're on strava and you do run or bike check out strava to be more today group and join us uh, subscribe to our page and join us for our runs we're out there doing so many things uh, be more today websites up be more today.com for my book Be more today book uh, we're just on amazon and on our website and please just go out there and check it out of course we have our youtube page as well so workouts, uh, health and fitness tips. All these Be More Today shows actually are all on our YouTube page. So go on there and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe today. Right now, the Be More Today show is heard in 46 countries. That's right, folks, 46 countries. And it's been so great just continuing to put out this message to so many people. Um, I've gotten so much good feedback from those who've been on the show and people who've been on the show in the past and people who want to be on the show now because they see what's going on with the movement. So I appreciate your love and your support, it does not go unnoticed. My quote for today is simple as always, and it's by um, it's by one person I find really, really interesting, uh, Dr. Rebecca Ray. She said, the walls of your comfort zone are not only transparent, they are imaginary. You can cross them at any time. You just need to decide to take the leap. Folks, this is Marathon Week. For those of you who are in NYC or coming to NYC, or have been around NYC, you know this is the first weekend in November. It is the first Sunday of November coming up, and it's going to be marathon week for people in NYC. And as I told you guys, it's number five for me, my fifth marathon. And I wasn't a, a long-distance runner in college. Um, I have someone on the show who's going to talk to us more about that. But this will be my, my fifth and probably my final marathon, and I'm super excited to do it. But I recognize that, you know, a lot of people are talking about aches and pains. As you get closer and closer to your goal, sometimes things get a little more challenging. Uh, Aches and pains kind of cramp up on you. And the training you've been doing for months on end seems like it was never going to end. It's finally coming to a close. 
And, you know, it's an exciting time, but it's also a time for us to recognize that our comfort zone is about to be challenged even more as we set foot uh, about to go out there and do this thing, this 26.2 mile madness that we get so hype about, but also are kind of uh, afraid to do. And every single time I do a marathon, you know, I get hyped, I get excited, I get nervous, and then I get into it and it's great. And then you hate it. And then you feel so crazy, but then when it's done, you feel so great. But the only way you really get to that point is if you really push past your comfort zone and recognize that the things that you thought you couldn't do, they really are imaginary. I mean, so many people say, oh, how can you run a marathon? It's so hard to do. I can never do that. Listen, my mom is doing a marathon, her second one, my wife, so many other friends who are not people who are traditionally runners, right? But they said, you know what? There's a goal I want to have out there. I'm going to set my eyes on that. And they've done it. They're going to be in that one percentage of Americans who are going to finish this marathon, this race. And it's just so interesting to see that there are so many limits that we have in our minds that are simply in our minds. We get to a place where we can really push forward and move past those thoughts, right? Those doubts, those fears. Um, we can be great. And that's the whole point of Be More Today, to recognize that we can do great things if we just put our minds to them. And my guest for today is someone who embodies that to a T. He's an old friend of mine, an old coach of mine as well. And I was so happy to connect with him back on, on social media. His name is Rick Wemple. Now, Rick is a running coach, certified personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, including a specialization in behavioral change and a mental skills coach. A native of Dayton, Ohio, Rick started his career as a track and field athlete at Yale University, where he earned a degree in biology. Wemple held school records in the mile, which he ran 404.54, and the 1,500 meters, which he ran 342.09, moving, as well as the distance medley relay and the 4 by 800 meter relay, and earned all American honors in cross country in 1991. Rick earned a master's degree in exercise science from Ohio State University in 1994 and returned to Yale to work. Uh, an exercise physiology lab and volunteer coach for the cross country and track and field teams. Rick coached at Ryan University, Bruno, you know, from 1998 to 2005 before moving to Chicago to coach at Lewis University. And finally, your Yorl your Yorl University in 2006, 2011. He has coached school record holders, conference champions, and all Americans in various track and field events and cross country. And since 2011, Rick has run his own coaching business which includes personal training, running, and mental performance coaching. His mental performance coaching is based on the tools and techniques he benefited, uh, used to foster and grow his own self-esteem and confidence that resulted in the growth and success of his private coaching business. The basic foundation is identifying all of our gifts, talents, treasures that are inside of us. And by affirming those on a regular basis, seeing our decisions and actions lead us towards inner peace, fulfillment, and abundance. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my friend, my former coach, and the man with the master plan right now, Coach Rick Wemple. Coach, what is going on? Thank you, Sean. That was a really nice intro. I appreciate it. Uh, and I'm excited to be on the show with you. Uh, when we reconnected a uh, little over a year ago through Facebook, and I saw what you were doing would be more today, I was like, this is in line with what I'm doing uh, with my coaching. So I'm excited to be a part of this. I appreciate you making the time. Yeah, it was about a year ago we connected. And, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. Timing is everything. And this is the perfect week, episode 80, a big one. And I'm so happy to reconnect with you on this show. I really haven't seen you face-to-face -face since Brown. 
But uh, I've been following you online and seeing the great things you've been doing as well. So I had to have you on the show. Thank you. I had to have you on the show. Listen, Coach, I, I know that you are a well-decorated athlete. You know, we when I was running at Brown, you know, I didn't really have uh, um, direct uh, connection with you because I was in the jump squad with Ann. But I did clearly, you know, uh, benefit from your tutelage uh, as the coaching staff and did see what you did with the with our distance runners. I mean, such an influential coach you were to, to get them to be so awesome in what they were doing. And I think that sometimes we as athletes, when we have coaches like you who are so decorated, we kind of forget that you also ran and that you have your own, you know, history and how you got into this. So I wanted you to first just kind of start by talking to us about how you got involved in distance running in the first place. Um, actually through the back door, so to speak. Um, I was, I'm six one in terms of height. I know you're a little taller than I am. Uh, I was six one as a seventh grader. And so I was a big basketball player. Um, but little did I know I was training for running without realizing it because uh, I had a paper route and I would run that paper route every day so I could get the papers delivered as soon as possible so that I could get out and play with my friends. Because uh, it was an afternoon paper route. You, you don't even have those things at an afternoon paper anymore. Uh, so, you know, I'm doing that sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And ninth grade, uh, the gym, or sorry, the track coach uh, was actually my gym teacher. And he had everybody do a timed mile. And I ran 509 in basketball high tops on a cinder track. Oh, wow. And he wanted me to come out for the track team in the spring in the worst way. And I was like, no, I'm a basketball player. I'm not coming out. Well, by sophomore year, many of my peers are getting taller than me. And so my relative basketball skills are declining compared mm -hmm. to everybody else. And um, I realized maybe I should try this track thing. And I, I went out for track and had a lot of success as a sophomore. And then it was, it was a no brainer to go out for cross country as a junior. Um, so it was, um, it was something that uh, I kind of slid into because again, well, let's go back to coaching. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to have that coach as a gym teacher and he turned out to be just a, a quality man uh, as well as a quality coach. Wow. That's incredible. You know, it's funny. I, it's so funny how many people uh, play basketball who got involved in track as I did also. And um, you know, basketball is that thing where I, I've gotten hurt playing basketball so many times, but track and field never hurt me. And um, you know, you being able to transfer over from running on the center track with basketball sneakers on that that's insane I, I know that your coach was probably geeked when he saw you do that because to do that in basketball sneakers on the center track uh, uh that probably got him really really excited and who knows if you had not even gone out there and tried that we would have never had you here today as a coach so that's uh, that's a real possibility absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely so you know you, you did the running thing clearly and um you know I, I know you went to Yale and you ran there but when did the coaching thing become something that you wanted to get involved in doing? Actually, even earlier, um, my mom taught Sunday school classes to like three, four, five-year-olds uh, at our church. And 
Um, at the time, I was maybe third grade, fourth grade. And so I actually went and helped her. And I loved teaching, just absolutely loved it. And uh, then uh, the summer between seventh and eighth grade, I went to a basketball camp at Notre Dame. And I was more enamored with the superstar coaches who came to speak mm -hmm. than I was the superstar athletes. And I can remember uh, that following winter watching basketball on TV and having a notebook and writing down plays that I would see. It was like I was scouting the games. And I just knew I wanted to be a coach at that point. Wow. So yeah. uh, some par parental influence and then also some other coaches uh, yeah. being an influence without them even realizing it. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Um, so, you know, you, I think, have a very unique perspective because you are, were an athlete and you are a coach. And I think doing that brings a duality when it comes to looking at athletics and looking at your, your athletes and what they may be able to benefit from, from your experiences based on what you did on the track and also what you learned, you know, in the classes. What are some of the aspects of athletics that you think helped pave your way personally through academia, your professional career? Because I always talk about, you know, how when people are athletes in general, there's a lot that is taught in training uh, in the, in the win-loss category when it comes to meets and any competitions that we can apply to life. So what are some of the aspects that you think personally that you take from athletics that help pave your way through your professional career, your academic career, and even your coaching career right now? Um, I, I think one is just the discipline. Uh, you, you, you touched on it just a little bit with your comment about athletics and how it teaches us about things in, in, um, in general life. I just think the discipline of going to practice every day and working on it, 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 it sometimes can become monotonous. It's the, it's the same thing. It's working on the stretching. It's working on the running. It's working on the running mechanics. It's working on the, um, the strength training. Uh, eating properly, getting the rest, all those things are regimented and, and require a certain amount of discipline. And that's going to carry over into the academics. It's going to carry over into uh, career. Uh, it, it's even going to carry over into family life uh, because um, I, I don't know if you have any children, but um, when children come into play, there's a lot of discipline. I'm not talking about telling them no, or they can't do this or can't do that. I'm talking about there needs to be some structure in order to get the child to this activity, to school, um, eating, dressed on time. There, there's a lot of discipline uh, on the parents' part that's required uh, to keep some semblance of um, structure or normalcy for the child. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have, I have a six-year-old daughter and uh, actually I dropped her off this morning before I spoke to you. And yeah, it's without that structure, uh, we would be a mess. Um, <laughs> my, my wife and I really run on a serious uh, schedule where it's down to, okay, this is bedtime. Okay, this is time we have to get up. If you don't leave by this time, we live in New York City. So, you know, you don't leave by this time, you're going to miss this train. You won't, won't be there in time for drop-off. And it's just like everything has to work like clockwork. Everything has to yeah. be on schedule, um, even in, down to 
you know, COVID testing for them each week and, you know, getting her homework done and, and making sure she has access to go to her dance classes on Wednesday and swim lessons on Sunday. And yeah, it's literally like almost like practice. You know, you have to Correct. make sure that you're, you're getting ready to go out there and make sure you know what you're doing every single day, which is different, but it's the same discipline and monotony every single week. So yeah, it can definitely be laborious, but it's definitely is worth it in the end, clearly. Yep. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, so, you know, I, I know that you uh, were a superstar athlete and, you know, have been a coach clearly doing so many things. And you've had a chance to coach some of the best athletes in the world, right? I'm not just talking about Brown, clearly. I have clearly a bias towards Brown University. But, you know, you've gone on to other universities as well and coached All-Americans, um, record holders, uh, conference champions, et cetera. Um, what do you think, or talk to us a little bit about um, some of the things you observed in terms of the keys for performance and training that um, take the basic athletes, the basic runners, or those who, you know, are, are on baseline level with everybody else to the next level. Like, what are you teaching people? What do you show or share with your athletes when you want to get them to take their training levels to the, to the next level to see better results or just to be better when it comes to competitions? Um, part of it is the topic we talked about previously with discipline in that if they're consistent day in, day out, and week in, and month in, and month out, they're going to see progress. Uh, and I have some really good examples of that um, where uh, I'm thinking of a few athletes in particular at Brown where one came in very, very talented out of high school and one was moderately talented out of high school. And it wasn't a matter of, of a difference in discipline with the two, but it was injury. Um, the more talented one had more injuries and thus didn't make as much forward progress. And the one who came out as an average talent out of high school, she never got injured. And so it was just day after day, week after week, month after month. By the time she was a junior, she was running times that were equal uh, or better to the, the woman who was more talented. And I just think that was a great example of uh, the consistency day in and day out. Uh, and again, it's not to take anything away from the, the person who uh, had injury problems. Um, it's more to show that uh, you, you can become great by the day-to-day um, consistency and discipline that we talked about as far as the training is concerned. Yeah, that's a big statement. You can become great based on the day-to-day discipline. And I, I, I believe in that. You know, I, when I got recruited at Brown, you know, I, I was a, 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 a decent athlete, right? Um, when it came to track and field and triple jump, which I had just started doing maybe two years before, um, you know, I went to all the other schools. I, I checked out Penn, I checked out Princeton, I checked out Brown clearly. Um, and Princeton was like, yeah, not good enough. Um, and yeah, um, not Yale, uh, UPenn was like, yeah, good enough. Definitely. You can come here, we can get better. And of course, Anne took a chance on me. And, um, you know, when I, I look back at the progression that I made, I never really got hurt at, at, at Brown until my, my, my senior year. Um, for me, and I know running is different than jumping, but progressing by four feet or five feet in a dis or in a jumping event is huge. I mean, it's almost Very like huge. taking off minutes when it comes to distance races. So um, I agree with you that that day-to-day progression of discipline can definitely take 
an average athlete or your basic or standard athlete to the next level if they continue to put in that hard work and dedication. And yeah, if you had told me that I'd be jumping five feet further than how I started my, my freshman year, at the end of my freshman year, I jumped five feet further, you know, in a, in a nine month period, um, I wouldn't have believed you if you had told me that in September of that year. But, you know, based on the coaching and the discipline you guys instilled in us, those deals are possible. And we've seen athletes do those kind of things on the track, off the track, um, in various jumping events and running events, et cetera, because they put in that discipline. And, and again, you mentioned the injury that can sometimes take people out. There's so many people, and you've probably seen this as well, who are so talented and they rely on their talent so much, but they don't really put in that effort. They don't put in those extra hours that the basic athlete or the regular athlete may be putting in because they don't think they have to work as hard because they are so talented. But even when you get to those levels, you have to even work a little harder to make sure that you're maintaining, that you're recovering properly, that you're still getting your sleep, that you're still doing things you have to do. The thing that you did to get to where you are now or then, you know, to be able to be progressive and to be able to be successful in the end. And a lot of people I feel in my practice I've seen don't get there because they, they, they don't pay attention to the small things. They don't pay Correct. attention to the small things that they need to do to maintain and get to the, the, the higher level competition. So yeah, I agree, completely agree with you on that. That's a very, very poignant statement. Um, um, it, and it's, it's difficult um, to be that disciplined year in and year out for a long period of time. That's why we only have a few superstars. Right. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan had tremendous talent, but Michael Jordan also had tremendous work ethic. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Brady, who's just defying all kinds of physical age type of things. Part of that, I'm sure, is genetics, but also part of it is we know that he does the extra as far as the nutrition is concerned to keep his body just absolutely at, it, at its peak. It's very challenging and difficult to do that every day for he's doing it now for 22 years. Yeah, uh, we get we get tired uh, after a while doing the same thing over and over. So yeah. I applaud those who can be the superstar because of their their mental approach to it. Um, and um, you know, I, I, I applaud the, the that, that discipline that yeah. uh, athletes like that have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think about LeBron James as well. And they yep. say he's been like a million dollars a year just on his body alone, just working on recovery and, and massages and PT and what have you. So yeah, those things are, are crucial. And, you know, I'm always curious if our A-listers, you know, in, in, in various sports from, from baseball, basketball, what have you, if they were to take that same uh, approach to, you know, their craft, you know, how much better they would be as well. But like you said, it, it's hard to, to maintain that discipline for, one year, five years, 10 years. And the longevity of these athletes can sometimes be so short simply because they're not doing those, those day-to-day -day things. Right. Absolutely. Um, so coach, I know you have your own coaching company. Um, I'm very curious and I want you to just share with listeners, you know, what inspired you to start it and what it's all about. All right. So um, again, this is going back to early days in high school. I had some injuries and uh, went to the, you know, the orthopedic doctor, physical therapist and so on, and uh, realized that um, there was this thing called uh, personal training. 
And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, I, I would like to do this on uh, for myself and maybe work with high level athletes during their off seasons and so on. And so my original intent in going to college was to um, get a biology degree, get an exercise science degree and run my own business. And in the theme of what we're talking about today, that got diverted. Um, and it got diverted into coaching uh, college track and field, which in many aspects was fantastic for me um, because I love coaching. But there were also some aspects that weren't great for me. And, um, and it had to do with my own self-esteem uh, and self-worth. And so it wasn't until I got fired from Loyola University that I actually started my own business. Uh, and that was 10 years ago, uh, the June of 2011. And what I mean by my own self-esteem, uh, I, I struggled with thinking that I wasn't good enough uh, or not enough or less than. And uh, that became more prevalent during grad school. And I think my, my self-confidence waned as grad school progressed. And so my confidence to start my own business, it just wasn't there. Like it had been maybe two or three years earlier. And so um, not to take anything away from track and field. I, I love the sport. Um, but in America, um, track and field is not, it, it's very low on the totem pole. And, and it's not just low in terms of attention. It's low in terms of um, how much, uh, how many coaches can be on a staff, um, what the pay is for coaches, what um, the budgets are to operate the, the program. Uh, those are all um, on the lower end of things. And there's a, there's a certain message of not being good enough or less than. And I think I was drawn to that because I was thinking myself, I'm less than or not good enough. And I went into a profession where the, let's say the, the higher up administrators and, and maybe not consciously, but just because of the environment, there were these messages that track and field's not good enough, track and field's not good enough. And that, that started to wear on me after 17 years. And uh, that is my wife walking right here in the middle. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that started to wear on me after 17 years. And, um, and I, I blew up at a number of people on a number of occasions. And that's what ultimately got me fired. Um, but I think in the, in the short term, that, that, I, that didn't feel good. But in the long term, looking back, I know that was something that needed to happen for me because it had, I had to get myself out of that environment. Um, and I had to learn how to start affirming myself and believing that I'm good enough as I am, uh, rather than relying on professional uh, praise, re, uh, professional accomplishment. Uh, I needed to realize that as I am, I am good enough. And that took about a year or so. Uh, and I can look back in 2012, I started doing things that came out of a place of confidence. 
um, that I would not have done a year earlier or even 10 years earlier. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the growth that's, that's happened for me. Wow. So the business, the business started, it, it, um, it was scary, but I knew that I had the, the personal training background as well as the coaching background. And, uh, as I said, I, I, uh, teamed up with another personal trainer and with the physical therapist. Uh, and that helped me kind of get my footing, uh, while I was starting to find my own, uh, own clients. So that's how, that's how it got started. Wow. That's great. What's the name of it officially? What's that? What's the official oh, name? Um, you know what? I, I call it Rick Wemple personal training. And then I have a, an offshoot of Rick Wemple mental performance uh, because I realized the things that I needed to learn for myself, there are so many people in this world who need to learn the same things. It's amazing to me how many of us think these thoughts of I'm not good enough or I'm less than or I'm not doing enough. And uh, when, when I have shared now with those clients what I learned about uh, affirming all the talents and gifts that I have in me and how it's actually built me up um, and they start to do a similar thing, it's amazing how their self, their, 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 um, their, the way they look at themselves changes for the good. Uh, and ultimately, as a result of that, they start making better decisions. They start taking better actions in whatever aspect of their lives it is, whether it's the running that I'm working with them on, or it happens to be their career or their, um, their financial decisions. It's amazing how that self-affirmation builds up their self-esteem and ultimately leads to better decisions. Uh, and that's, it's something I saw for myself. And so I've, I've got the firsthand experience, uh, with it. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Now I would have never thought that about you at all. And, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason. So, uh, the fact that you took that leap, um, you know, at, at that time, 10 years ago and, and really saw the niche that you could get into is, is for me, very commendable. I, you know, I, I think that that's a big step. And I do think that, you know, a lot of people do feel the same way that you feel. I feel that same way sometimes too, when it comes to certain things. Um, but using athletics and using, you know, the, the skills that we all have, we all have a lot of skills, a lot of talents, a lot of traits that are not always highlighted, you know, using those things to take us to the next level and to do better in, in other areas, I think is always the, the right step. And you doing this now helping others um, is, is, is the best way to do it um, because you already know what it feels like. Um, it, it, it's pure joy to see a, a client's uh, benefit from their own self-esteem and to know that I help them kind of discover a few tools to, to build that up on their own. It's not me building up their self-esteem they're doing it from inside themselves and they can take that anywhere. They don't, they don't need to rely on someone else to tell them they're good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I've had a couple of people on the show this last couple of weeks talking about mental health, mental performance, um, and really looking at the mental health states of not just the country, because, you know, it's been a crazy 18 months for everyone, but looking at, 
you know, people who are in the limelight, uh, whether they're athletes or not, and recognize that mental health is a very serious thing, right? That we're talking more about now, um, but it's always has been a thing that has been pushed under the rug. And especially when it comes to people who are in the limelight, whether they're performance athletes like we work with, uh, or the people who are, you know, entertainment-based in terms of acting and other careers. Um, what are your thoughts? And I know there have been a number of athletes that have shared that mental health is at the forefront of why they're not able to compete right now, whether it's Ben Simmons for basketball, right? Or um, Shakari Richardson's of the world and the Michael Phelps of the world who have taken time to say, you know what? Now's a good time for me, Simone Biles. Now's a good time for me to say that I can be honest about how I'm feeling about why I don't want to compete or why I can't compete at this level right now because I'm stressed out. I'm this, I'm that. You know, everyone's coming out now and saying what their what their stories are. And there's been some backlash. It, it feels like almost like some people in the media uh, uh, are affirming them and, 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 and saying that it's great that they're coming out. And others who are fans are, are still kind of saying, look, we want to see you perform. You want to see, I pay to see you do a certain thing. And now that you are having this, this situation, I can't see that. What are your thoughts as a mental performance coach when it comes to training athletes and, and showcasing what, that they should be able to go out there and compete to get through their mental blocks, you know, what are your thoughts when athletes come to you and say that they are having similar situations or similar feelings when it comes to their ability to compete on and off the field? Um, in, in some cases, there, do, there does need to be a break. Uh, in fact, I have an example right now of a high school uh, runner who um, I think her the struggle she was having was a result of some physical struggles that she didn't even realize she was running poorly because of um, really low iron and anemia. And she didn't realize it until her mom contacted me. We talked a bit and I was like, let's, let's get the iron and red blood cells checked. Um, but she, she was kind of in a negative spiral about I'm not a good enough runner. I'm, I'm horrible. I'm not, um, uh, not like I used to be. And it takes, four, six, maybe even as much as eight weeks for an iron supplement to kick in. And it got to a point where she was like, I'm just, I'm so stressed out. I don't feel good about myself. I, I feel like I need to take a break. She did take, and I, and I affirmed her on that. And she took a two week break in the middle of the cross country season and came back and the first week was a little rusty, which you would expect if she hadn't been running. She was a little rusty the first week, a little bit better the second week. And by the last race of her season, which was about a week ago, she ended up setting a 45-second PR. So she needed, I think part of it was she needed more time for the iron to kick in, but she also needed that mental break to um, – just step away for a little bit and not be knocking her head against the wall all the time. Yeah. So I, um, when it, when it's needed, I'm, I'm going to be supportive of it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great success story. Um, let's talk a little bit more about mental performance coaching. Cause you know, I, I've heard a bit, a bit about it, but I'm not sure exactly about all of the components of, of what you do. And, and how you integrate it into the success and training of, 
of your athletes. So, so what's a typical session or day like for you when it comes to um, promoting and, and supporting the mental performance of, of your athletes? Okay. Um, it depends on the individual that I'm working with. Some of my clients come to me, they just want to get stronger or more flexible or get um, you know, improved to, to run a marathon. Um, and they, they don't ask necessarily for any mental performance side of the coaching. Uh, but there are other clients that come to me and they, they see that I'm listed as a mental performance coach or mental skills coach. And what I do with them is uh, it, it starts, as you said in the introduction, and I said a little bit earlier, it starts with, uh, I help them identify all the things that they like about themselves and all the things they believe they're good at. And I have them write that down on a list so that they can physically see it. And then I encourage them to review that at least once a day. And it's amazing the power of reviewing that list, what happens after 30 days, what happens after six months, uh, how it changes the person's self-esteem, their self-confidence, their self-worth. Uh, and again, it's all coming from inside. It's not me telling them that they're good. They're, they are telling them they are good. And, uh, and the results are usually very positive in their running or their athletic perform or the other athletic performance. But I've also seen it in, I've worked with a, a medical doctor who uh, is an, a kidney doctor who loves to do research. And she was kind of um, uh, negative about herself in terms of uh, whether she was a good researcher or not. And after about three months of her constantly affirming herself, she, she put in three, sorry, four different grants uh, applications for funding from various organizations to fund her research. So um, that's an example professionally of where someone who wasn't af affirming her abilities started to affirm her abilities and her talents and the actions followed uh, afterwards. Right. Uh, so um, that's, that's the real basis of the, for, for my aspect of mental skills or mental performance coaching. But then there's also all kinds of other things that we probably have all experienced as athletes talking about visualization uh, talking about having a certain positive mantra. Um, uh, as you said, the, looking at the barriers and, and are they actually barriers? Um, I'm going to plug a book, if I can put it up here. It's called The Pressure Principle. Uh, and does it have the, the author there? Uh, I don't know if we can see it. Let me see here. Dave Allred. Um, in his book, called the pressure principle one of the things he talks about is working at the margins uh, and what that means is if I'm capable of running 10 minutes and I think well I want to be able to run 26.2 miles which for the average person might be four or five hours I can't think about running four or five hours right now I need to work on running 15 minutes that's pushing the margin just a little bit beyond that barrier that, that you talked about in that opening quote. 
And then I get comfortable running 15 minutes and I, I work at the margin to push it a little longer to 20 minutes. And over the course of months and years, I'm able to run that 26.2 miles. Uh, and that's that principle working at the margins that this coach talks about, uh, that we can push through those barriers, but we need, we need to work at the edge, push a little bit through that, get comfortable, push a little bit through that, get comfortable, push a little through that. And before you know it, holy cow, my performance has improved dramatically. Uh, similar to what you said about your triple jump improving by five feet. Uh, that didn't come in one day. It came in nine months worth of working at the margins, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. Well said. Thank you for the book reference. We'll definitely check that one out. Um, yeah. It's so funny how that, you know, I, I think people, and again, let's go back to our conversation earlier about athletics. If, if you've been an athlete ever, then you recognize that it's really about the incremental improvements that really shows progress. Yes. And, you know, it really applies to life as well. And, and, and I'm happy that this platform really highlights the similarities between athletics and life, because to me, there's so many similarities between, you know, what you do in the training for a race and what you do for the training for life. They're just so intricately connected for me. And, um, you know, I think about track and field because it, it's that thing that I equivalent or I, I really um, believe that it can be related to life in general. Um, the way we train for it, the way we run it, um, people that you interact with in life that push you, you know, for a mile or two, the same way in life, someone may push you to do something in your life for a little bit, and then you go on to the next phase of your life, et cetera. Um, but it's that thing that can really get you to the next level. And, and, and running for me, uh, and for so many people, especially in New York with the marathon coming up this week, is very, very exciting. But like you said earlier, you know, there are a number of programs in the country that are, are cutting track and field programs. They're cutting literally cross country and track and field programs. And Brown University, as you know, uh, yes, went to an extent where they literally cut the program. Um, and our Brown University alumni fought and we emailed and we text messaged and we raised money and we raised funds, all these different things. And they reinstated the program um, at our school. But there are many other schools that are still cutting programs across the country. Um, so I guess my question for you now is, you know, looking at the, the mental state of even some of the athletes who didn't have a chance to finish their, their last year um, or their junior year, senior year, whatever, competing or did redshirt years now to get back into this thing, uh, or those who are no longer even able to run, right? Because their school canceled the, either the men's program or what have you at, at their schools. You know, what are your thoughts as a coach and as a runner? looking at the, the, the sport of track and field, especially on the men's side when it comes to track and cross country and looking at what's happening with the sport. And, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of the future of track and field? Um, well, my first thought is it's disappointing to see those programs cut, uh, especially um, I, I don't think um, administrators fully look at the, the total picture. Um, most track and field athletes are not taking money away from the school. They're actually bringing money to the school because it is rare that a track and field athlete is a full scholarship uh, athlete, which means they're paying part of their way. And 
really a scholarship is just a discount. Uh, so having those extra kids in the school is, is actually bringing more revenue to the school. Now, it might not be bringing more revenue directly to the athletic department. And, and I understand there's obviously buses and planes and hotels, those expenses. Uh, but I, I think overall, um, cutting, cutting the sports is not, um, it's obviously not ideal. And I'm biased. I'm biased because I love track and field. I love cross country and running. Uh, so, um, I'm probably not going to have the most, um, neutral, uh, opinion on this. What do I think about the state or the future of track and field? Uh, unfortunately, I think from a college standpoint, uh, it's, it's still, it's going to continue to get worse. Um, I don't think though, it's going to be, I don't think the sport is going to die. Uh, because I see so many grade school and high school participants involved in the sport. And I see a lot of adults coming to me asking, can you train me to do this? Can you train me to do that? They actually want to compete. And I do see more all-comer type meets where a 45-year-old can go and compete in track and field events. So it may shift a little bit um, to where it becomes more of a club-based or private coaching-based type of thing. Um, but I, I just I don't see track and field ever going away um, because it is the foundation of every other sport, running, jumping, and throwing. Every other sport uses those. And uh, one of the things I love about track and field and cross country we talked about the incremental improvements. One of the things you know we did every week is we uh, applauded anybody who set a new personal best uh, because that's, that's a success. And then you set a new personal best and it's success. And we recognize those things. Uh, and I, I think that's to help realize that, hey, you might have this really high goal, but on the way, this is a matter of success. This is a matter of success. This is a matter of success. Just because you haven't reached this goal doesn't mean you're not successful. And that's one of the things I love about track and field. And that might have been a little tangent from your, your uh, question, but I, I just wanted to put that in there. It's spot on. It's spot on with the question. And, you know, I, I think, again, just because the marathon is coming up for New York this week. And, you know, it's, it's that thing where, like you said, you know, everyone has a certain goal, but seeing everyone just finish and, and, and be able to compete at the, their highest level for whatever that level is for that person, you know, that that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of track and field and being able to see, look, I put this work in, I got this result. It's one of the most, one of the simplest sports in the sense that you put in work, you will get results. You will see improvements. Correct. And um, it's improvements that you can actually, uh, quantify right if you, you can see someone drop by five seconds that's an actual show of progress you're seeing that i did better this time compared to last time and in certain sports you really can't tell those things right when it comes to basketball you might not be able to see if someone's getting better although their skills of ball handling may be better you know it might not always translate to assists or points or what have you 
But for track and field, it's it's very, you know, plug and chug. You do this, you will see this. And I think that's also what I, I take from that. And, you know, I, I, I agree with your sentiment talking about the the future of the sport. You know, it, it is somewhat sad to, to, to walk in and see certain track meets with with limited people in stands and not even COVID based just because the sport oh, yeah, itself even prior to the, right that doesn't have the love and support that it used to back in the day you know my dad used to run track and field and the 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 the, the, the fervor he talks about it talking about how excited he used to be you know watching the high schools go against each other in New York City and then going to pen relays and seeing everybody go against each other he gets so hyped talking about it still and that was you know some 30 years ago him talking about it um and it has changed and I, you know, I'm getting my daughter involved in the the roadrunners uh, events that we have here in New York City and it's fun and I do see that there is still going to be like you said track and field to some extent whether it's on a club basis or community groups but th- like you said it's one of the found the founding sports that we have as as a human race you know it's one of the things that no matter what you do you have to run so I do think that it will be able to stand the test of time to some extent and I do hope that we as people who love the sport and love love the the physicality of it will continue to promote it and push people forward to hit whatever goals they want to hit. Well, I certainly am going to be one of those people, and uh, I'll answer a little bit later. I know you want to ask me a question about um, what's next, and uh, when we get to there, I'm going to share some of the ideas that I have to promote the sport. Um, and but using the sport to actually promote uh, bettering people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it now. What, what do you think? Well, um, I, I started a process in 2018 of looking at uh, building a world-class indoor track facility in Chicago, but putting it in an area that would benefit um, underserved youth. Uh, and, that's an expensive endeavor to build something like that. It's about a 50, $55 million project. Uh, what I didn't know is some other organization was actually doing the same thing. And that, that track facility opened uh, this past winter, 2020, despite COVID um, they had really good regimented rules about how many people they'd let in the building Uh and I think it's been a real positive for Chicago. Um, Chicago could probably use a second and maybe even a third facility uh, like it. Um, my wife and I are actually going to move back to my hometown of Dayton, Ohio, in about seven or eight months, uh, next June or July. Uh, we, um, we, we've loved Chicago, but we're ready to have a little bit quieter life. And Chicago is tame compared to New York. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, we also want to have a little bit more for our money. Um, My dad lives in a four bedroom, two and a half bath, two car garage, um, front yard, backyard. It's $175,000. That house in an equivalent suburb of uh, Chicago is six hundred to seven hundred thousand, yeah. and I'm sure it's a million plus in yeah. the outskirts of New York. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when when my wife's daughter, my stepdaughter, graduates from college next May, we're going to make the move to Ohio, and so my intent is to uh, start that process of building a facility in Dayton 
that can is a track and field facility to give kids an opportunity to uh, to compete and train during the winter months uh, and be able to do what they need to do because it when you're when you're trying to do jumping stuff or uh, sprinting stuff in 35 40 degree weather it doesn't work right it works it works for distance runners but not for the other events uh, but I want this facility to also be an opportunity for um, underserved youth to have these opportunities to uh, do something positive for themselves, um, to have support and encouragement in pursuing those endeavors, uh, and it to, to use some of my mental skills coaching to help them build their own self-esteem uh, to uh, enhance as, uh, academics as well um, so that they can improve their lives. Uh, that's something that I want to do with the sport of track and field because, as we just said, you don't have to be the best athlete to see success. If you're a 10-minute miler and you run 9.58 per mile, that's, a, that's an improvement. And we, we applaud that. And then when you run 949, we're going to improve, we're going to applaud that. And so I want to use the sport, uh, as a way to lift people up. Uh, so, uh, it's an expensive endeavor and I know I'm going to need a lot of support. So I'm starting to reach out to my high school friends uh, to get the contacts necessary to find out who are some of these big money uh, people that would be interested in supporting a facility like this um, and get it going. Coach, that's very exciting. That's very, very exciting. Uh, going back home, clearly, uh, giving back to the community, awesome, and continuing to support and promote the sport, especially for the future. I mean, all the things that Be More Today is really about. So I, I commend you for that, and and I wish you the best with that. That that's super exciting, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know that's real. That's pretty much what you more say is really about. We're looking to always highlight people who are doing more, not just for themselves, but for the community as well. And coach, you're number eighty. You're the 80th person on this show that I've had uh, for these last two seasons. I ask every single person on the show what the phrase "be more today" means to them. So. When you hear the phrase be more today, what does that phrase mean to you? So I, I hope this doesn't undermine your definition, uh, but I want to go back to those incremental working at the margins uh, concept we talked about. Be more isn't, for me, being more isn't that we have to be way up here. It's that can we be just a little bit better today than we were yesterday? And then tomorrow, can we be just a little bit better than that? And the next day, just a little bit better than that. Working at those margins and pushing that the edge or pushing through that barrier and then pushing through the next barrier and through the next barrier. And eventually we get to here. Uh, so that for me, that's what be more today means is let's let's push through some of those self-imposed barriers and just work a little bit more. And then just a little bit more and compare ourselves to ourselves rather than me trying to be Tom Brady or Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Um, but can Rick today 
be just a little bit better than I was yesterday. Absolutely. I applaud you on that as well. Listen, Coach, where can people follow you, your coaching, uh, or any of your uh, exploits on social media or otherwise? Um, so my, um, uh, my website is coachrick.info. Uh, it's not .com because somebody else got that uh, long before I, I wanted it. Uh, so it's coachrick.info. Uh, the email address is pretty easy. It's an extension of that. It's rick at coachrick.info. Uh, and I do have a Facebook page. Um, so you can just type in uh, Rick Wemple, uh, W-E-M-P-L-E. And I, I see it's on the screen here. Uh, and it, it should come up uh, on Facebook. Uh, I actually have two pages, a, a personal page and a Rick Wemple mental performance page. They're, they're pretty much interlinked with each other. Uh, I had been doing some Instagram stuff, uh, which I think is RW mental performance. Um, but I, I've gotten so busy in the last 12 months that I just don't have the energy to keep up with the posts and all that. Um, and I, I feel really fortunate uh, that I, I have as many clients as I do. I'm really grateful for that. Uh, but I think once I start uh, heading to Ohio, I will get back on Instagram and do more posts on Facebook because I will have a little more time and energy. <laughs> That's great. Coach, I really appreciate you being on the show today. You made episode 81 for the books. And uh, I wish you the best with the move back to Ohio. My wife's from Ohio. So we're where, where in Ohio. Uh, she's from North Olmstead. Um, that's where that her family lives now in North Olmstead, Ohio. So uh, Okay. So Cle Cleveland there. suburb. Yeah, Cleveland suburb. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we'll be out there at some point in time soon. But, you know, if I, if I am out there, I'll definitely holler at you and excited to see the great things you will continue to do out there. So. I wish you All right. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you having me on today. No problem, folks. And don't forget what our quote was from today from Dr. Rebecca Ray. The walls of your comfort zone are not only transparent, they are imaginary. You can cross them at any time. You just need to decide to take the leap. Imaginary walls, folks. Push those walls down. Mental barriers, physical barriers. Like Coach said, incremental steps, right? And progress is relative to everybody. Uh, you going out there and just getting out there for a run is fantastic. Don't worry about the time. Just go out there and start running. If you are looking at times, yeah, anything that you do that is improving your running, your walking, your fitness, your health, right, your wellness, drinking more water, getting more sleep, all those things, we applaud those things. So take the baby steps, take the leaps, go out there, get it done. For everyone who's running the NYC Marathon this week, uh, get ready. I'll see you out there. I'll see you out there. And let's make sure that we run NYC to the fullest. And for all things Be More Today related, please check out uh, our website, bemoretoday.com for my book, which is on Amazon and on the site, our swag store for our Be More Today gear. And of course, the podcast is heard everywhere on all your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube. If you want to send me any thoughts or try to connect with Rick directly, uh, my email is drshawn at bemoretoday.com. And as I always say, folks, have a good day, have a good night, have a great life, and continue to take your steps of greatness to be the best version of you. I won't see you next week because I'll be doing the marathon, but I'll see you in two weeks. All right? You guys take care. Bye.